The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, prepackaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. The When Dating Hurts podcast is supported by BlendJet. Big bulky blenders are a real pain to use, but the BlendJet 2 blender makes blending a snap. I'm using mine several times a day. Convenience is the reason why. The BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It can fit into your cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. And BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. BlendJet lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. With over 30-plus colors and patterns to choose from, there's a BlendJet 2 to complement any style. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Seriously, what are you waiting for? No other blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Head to BlendJet.com and use the promo code WHENDATINGHURTS12 for your 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. That's BlendJet. Hi, this is Elizabeth, and I've listened to every single episode of the When Dating Hurts podcast. I have not been in an abusive relationship myself, but I've had friends who have, and it's good to know the signs early to get out early. Bill, thank you for all that you do. The When Dating Hurts podcast is rated one of the most popular relationships podcasts in the world. Why is that? It's our guests. Whether you're listening to subject matter experts or domestic violence survivors, you know you're hearing what you need to know, and that is the truth about dating and domestic violence. Why it happens, how it happens, when it happens, where it happens, and how victims become survivors. This podcast is a powerful way for you, your friends, and your family to stay informed 
and stay safe. Thank you for your support. Sometime back, I interviewed Ryan. He's a highly intelligent man who offered to speak with me and tell his story of abuse. In this case, Ryan was on the receiving end of the abuse. It's rare we have a male asked to tell his story. We could use more of them. With that said, here's part one of two parts with Ryan. Hi, Ryan. It's good to meet and speak with you today. Hi, Bill. Pleasure to meet and speak with you today. Thank you for doing this. So I guess I'll just jump into it. When and how did you meet your wife? Bill, I met my ex-wife back in 2013 when we were attending college together. She was enrolled in a local community college, and I was attending one of the regional private universities in the area. She was introduced to me by my friend who was dating her best friend at the time. It was a very interesting introduction as her and I were both incredibly inebriated at the time when we met, and that led to a eventual long-term online relationship. It was the original start of our dating and what have you. So you say online relationship, what did that look like? I mean, you, does that just mean emails back and forth or what, what does it mean online? It was predominantly precipitated through communication via Facebook at first. And then that quickly evolved into texting, email, because she actually transitioned away from the community college and moved out to Hawaii. So it became a very oh. interesting, very long distance relationship. And then I actually left the university that I was attending there and came back to the Philadelphia area or the Pennsylvania area. When she's in Hawaii and you're in Pennsylvania, how many hours difference is that? It's six hours. Oh, six? Only six. That's a very difficult relationship to get going when it's you're, you're reading someone's words and you're not hearing. So were there phone calls in there too? Constant. Constant. Uh, eventually evolved to a, a constant stream of communication where I would be adjusting my schedule to be waking up early in the morning or staying up late at night to be able to have those communications with her during her regular schedule since I was the farther advanced in timelines. So I found myself waking up early in the morning, let's say four o'clock, and then maybe catching a nap in the afternoon to wake up again in the evening to have that conversation again at the end of the night. Did you feel when you were having these phone calls that there were more calls or I'll stick my neck out and say more and more frequent phone calls than you really maybe wanted? At times, I would say yes. It became almost during the initial phases of the early long distance relationship a little overbearing, especially since we were both finishing out our collegiate educations. So it made things and managing everything a little difficult. And then you add in the constant stream of communication via text or via Facebook or any other type of social media platform that was popular back then. When you got these texts, you got this constant stream. I mean, was it a conversation or was it an, an interrogation, for instance? How, how did you feel? It honestly vacillated back and forth between both of conversation and interrogations at times. So like I would be just talking about my day and interacting with about how I'm interacting with my other classmates. And then it would turn into more of an interrogation like, oh, what's she look like or what you know, things of that nature. So she was really sizing up your world in a lot of ways and right. who was interacting with you. So at some point, she's not in Hawaii, and I guess you're still in Pennsylvania, but she comes back to Pennsylvania? Yes. We had to, had a major discussion regarding relocation and, and ending the long-distance relationship. 
This is after several rounds of breaking up and getting back together and traveling to see each other from Hawaii to Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania to Hawaii and going through a very contentious time period during that time. Eventually, we settled on the idea of moving to the East Coast because most of the job market in Hawaii is predominantly centered around tourism, whereas here in Philadelphia, there's a larger amount of opportunities for various industries, and we could both explore our careers in more intricate ways, I guess would be the way I'd phrase that. And you were aiming to do what at that time in your career? At that time in my career, I was attempting to transition and join the military to essentially pursue a political career. I was working out in Harrisburg as an intern in the Capitol building there. And I finished out my collegiate career right after that internship. And I was trying to transition into more local politics at the time, but ended up into falling back on a lot of my services and manufacturing skills until I found a more stable career. And what was she what was she doing? What was she trying to do? Before she relocated, she was working as a, an assistant, a legal assistant or a legal aide, essentially an office secretary. And then when she transitioned here, she found a job after several months of unemployment working in the medical insurance and billing field. Originally, she was trying to pursue a legal career with the FBI. So we were trying to both pursue government based careers at the time. So roughly what year then was she now united or reunited with you in Pennsylvania? We had met in 2011 and then she had relocated here in 2014. So the entire dating long distance phase lasted approximately two and a half years, three years. And then we were married at the end of 2014. So now you're man and wife. And was that a, was that a joyous occasion getting married to her? I mean, did you think this is, uh, say, the person of my dreams or was it just the next step or how did you feel? At the time, I felt that I had met the person of my dreams, that I was really looking forward to seeing the way our future was going to unfold together, step up to the new challenges, grow together, learn together, and really take on new opportunities and new challenges as we matured. Honestly, even then I knew I had my own difficulties, but and I knew that she had her own difficulties as well. But I thought that with time, we would be able to overcome a lot of those difficulties together. And that was the original idea in the relationship, you know, something that we had discussed as we had gone through the cycles of breaking up and getting back together and a lot of love bombing and coming back. Now, I hear the term love bombing quite a lot. How would you describe that for our audience? I would describe it as an over an abundant amount of affection that doesn't really have any correlation to a consistent backdrop of affection. So you have a large amount of push, I would say, that's pushing into your life, pushing into your goals, pushing into your dreams and desires, but then there's not a lot of pull. Like You don't necessarily feel engaged with that person's goals and ambitions in life. They try to fully essentially ingratiate themselves into what you are doing in that moment in time, but then they're not essentially opening themselves up to be vulnerable in that situation. And then in conjunction with that, there's excessive amounts of compliments and affording you a large amount of different engagements per se. So I would imagine being a, a very smart guy, and I know because of some other communication you and I have, that at some point, although it feels good to be complimented and having somebody saying all these things, at times you must look at it like I have to pick between what I think is real and, and, and what is manipulation. Absolutely. And I've honestly 
struggled with that particular aspect of my communication style and communicating with people most of my life, not understanding what is a manipulation versus what is actual enjoyment of that of enjoyment of being around me or enjoyment of that kind of communication style with me. When I was on the receiving end of that, it felt really great at the time. And as you said, eventually it came to the head where, yes, I was assessing, you know, how much of this is actually truthful. At a lot of points, it just felt like a complete fabrication. Okay. You've been dating this person two and a half years. You're now married. Days are ticking by. Months are ticking by. And of course, you know a lot more about red flags today than you did in those days. But how would you describe some of the red flags that were around you that maybe you didn't attribute to this is really going to go the wrong way? One of the early red flags that I experienced was the blaming and assignment of blame towards other people that interacted with me and with her. And then the other big red flag that I didn't recognize early on was never taking any guilt on or apologizing for any actions that caused harm to both myself and to others. Frequently and early on, I would get the, I'm sorry you feel that way uh, type okay. of apology. Mm-hmm. Then it would transition from that into, you're the one that's causing the problems to, you know, you're a expletive, expletive. And that deluge of, of transition from being blamed and not taking any, and then me just internalizing that reaction really turned into a very negative and caustic environment. And then the other aspect was a lot of my friends and family, they saw the dynamic taking place to an extent and they would make comments in passing, not necessarily knowing how to articulate what was actually being observed without you know, interfering in my relationship, but that would be used as ammunition for the fact that this is not shaping up the way you think it's going to shape up kind of thing based off of their wisdom, but they also knew from their wisdom to not involve themselves. That makes sense. Total sense. You're with somebody who takes every situation, bends it around and sends it back to you with, I'm sorry you feel that way, which obviously is a far cry from, I'm sorry, or or saying, I didn't realize that would hurt you or whatever someone would would say, you know, maybe not what I'd call a full apology, but something that at least takes a few steps down that street, you know, of an apology where it's like, well, you know, okay, I didn't realize you were sensitive about that. I'll be more careful in the future or whatever those. So you weren't getting any of those little tidbits along the way, right? You're just kind of getting the the boomerang effect. Whatever is going on always seems to fly out and come back and hit you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, you know, further drove me inside to not want to even speak out about any issues that I was having or any feelings that I was having, which then turned Mm -hmm. into me repressing everything and then never being able to articulate and have a healthy dialogue or communication with my partner. Whereas I was expected to absorb every single difficulty and triviality that she was facing in her regular day. So, you know, with my advances in my career and transition away from the services, I eventually did get a job in government where I was working inside the city and having to transit out. And that was taking a large amount of my time throughout the day. And then I would come home, be immediately bombarded with a lot of caustic remarks towards other people whom she interacted with at work or other microaggressions that were perceived or not perceived from other colleagues and have to absorb that while not being able to really reflect on my day 
in conjunction with that, those microaggressions somehow became my fault. And then that transition into the house wasn't being maintained into there's no dinner on the table. I'm the one that ends up bearing the entire labor of all of that. So, How long would you say that you were married when it was getting to this point? When it started getting to this point, I would say we were married for about a year. The first year of marriage after the tumultuous dating phase for me was probably the best year. You know, I was working as a baker at a local bagel shop. And then I was also working as a machinist at a tool shop. And that period of me using my hands all day and then being able to go to the gym and her coming home later in the evening as the normal nine to five type of environment afforded both of us enough separation and differences in experiences to provide a lot of ability to have different dialogue come in. And then there was still a good amount of interaction, you know, with my friends and her friends and so on and so forth. But eventually those friends kind of were dialed out. Yeah, absolutely. So in something that you wrote, you felt that when you met her and in those early years, you felt that she seemed special to you in some ways, that you could look at her, her style, whatever she brought, you know, that, that, that whole person, and in some ways felt that maybe this was somebody who seemed more special than anybody you had met before. You still feel that way? I can look back on the, and have that hindsight to see why I felt that way at the time. And I always described her as the glowing butterfly. You know, she had the natural and magnetic ability to be able to flit around the room and engage anybody. And me being a wallflower found the butterfly very attractive. You know, I generally am very uncomfortable in those kinds of situations and engagements. And I tend to be the person standing off to the side smoking a cigarette or cigar now. I thankfully don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but, or the person that used to drink and bury myself in the booze and by the edge of the bar. She just had this natural innate gift to be able to walk up to anybody and have that conversation. And then when she walked up to me eventually throughout our interactions and gave all that attention to me, I felt instead of being that wallflower, like I was a, a special flower, if that makes sense. So a true introvert and a true extrovert, at least to all outward appearances. Right. You both have friends. You've dated her for a while. You've been married now a year or so. And how is your relationship with her affecting your friendships with others? Honestly, my relationship with her started to have a lot of major impacts on my friendships with others. Even one of my best friends that I had known from my early high school years, she had an amazing amount of apprehension towards this particular person is the way I would describe mm-hmm. That's it. That's a good way to put you it. Know, I had... I, I mean, I had known this person for seven years at the time, and I'd only known my wife for about three years. And seven years for a 23-year-old's a, a, a large portion of their life. Yeah. This friend that I, she got me, helped me get through a lot of difficulty that I faced in high school and went to prom together. And my ex was always incredibly concerned that this, this person was going to steal me away from her. You know, the insecurities came blazing through. And I essentially was forced to choose between my now ex-wife or my friend and being the dutiful husband I chose to my ex-wife. Well, did you feel like you were in a position to choose anyway while this was going on? I mean, you weren't you weren't at some crossroads, were you? I mean, this was just a friend you probably intended to have the rest of your life, but as a friend, right? Right. And that was the exact feeling that I had had. I mean, she was like a sister to me and 
I didn't feel like I had a choice. I felt like I had to kowtow and acquiesce to my wife's demands in that particular circumstance. And that became emblematic of my entire relationship with her, where I feel like I didn't have a choice and I had to cut off contact with some of my best friends, my extended family on both sides. And eventually my connections grew to be only her and my colleagues at work. And even then I was told to keep myself quiet and not discuss what goes on in our house was the constant phrasing. Then what were the earliest signs that there could be real trouble in this relationship? It's one thing to have a relationship with somebody that feels like this kind of upset stomach that comes and goes and you have good days and you have some bad days, but it's really not really going to go to a super bad place. It's not going to end. But in this case, you and I know where it goes. But what were some of the earliest signs that this could really go to extremely bad places? Some of the earliest signs I would say with with hindsight would be the goading to cut people off. And then also there was a lot of early cheating and excessive drinking and partying and flirting with other strangers in front of me and other types of instances like that. And then this eventually ended up evolving into just a consistent stream of lying or lying by omission, then overstating particular things that I may have done, followed by like isolating me from all my friends and family to that love bombing we discussed earlier. And then when I would raise any of these particular issues, it would be met with either stonewalling or that you have to go do this and now immediately or I'll always had a a certain sword hanging above it because early on she had often discussed some of the historical things she did like stabbing an ex-boyfriend or burning down an empty house that might have had homeless people in oh it and other threats let me pause right there so you're saying she stabbed somebody who what she was dating is that what you're saying yeah now how did you find out about that and when did you find out about that uh, I found out about that pretty early on, actually, you know, coming from my background, hearing about partners stabbing other partners and getting into violent altercations, it was kind of the norm in the environment that I grew up in. It didn't really shock me. The house burning down thing came about later on after we were married, and that really put me on edge in a lot of ways. But then it was relayed to me that the person that she had stabbed went, to, went away for murder for like murdering his girlfriend or something like that. I'm like, holy hell, like this is going to, that just shook me to my core a little bit, you know? Like, well, when you heard that she stabbed somebody, was that sent up like, well, there was this altercation and I had to defend myself? Was that the way you heard it? Uh, defend her honor was the way that she described it because the guy apparently was either running around on her and then she found out and chased the guy down and also chased down the girl that he was cheating on and ended up stabbing them both in that circumstance so and that never came to court or anything no so i guess they didn't i guess they got over it they just didn't press charges or they just uh turned the page and put on a band-aid yeah, in a, in a certain environment, I mean, I come from a, a strong working class background. In a certain environment, you kind of throw things, water under the bridge, or you solve it in the streets and not bring in the law kind of thing. So mm-hmm. she came from a similar type of working class background. So that environment really kind of just learns to silence itself in that regard in, in relation to the law, unless it gets to the point where it's an incredibly toxic and violent environment where neighbors are getting involved with the incident. At some point in time, you're having a conversation with her, and she tells you that she set fire to a house that potentially had homeless people in it, right? Right. 
I'm trying to imagine telling you that in such a way that I can't imagine the outcome that she wanted to get from telling you that story. I mean, did she think that was kind of funny or what? Uh, yeah, she found a lot of humor and interest in that aspect of the, particularly the death aspect of it. And I'm sitting here driving the car. We're on a road trip to go. I forgot where we were going exactly. I think we were going out for a little hike or something. I find myself just frozen in that moment, just stuck facing the road as we're driving. I'm like, I want to look over at her and not, but not take my eye off the road. And I just couldn't. Like I'm hearing enjoyment in her voice, like genuine glee about the fact that she had stated doing this. And it's like, okay. Was she pretty certain that, that there uh, were people yeah. in there and they probably burned to death? That's the way it came across to me, the way it was implied to me. So I guess I have to ask the question, why wouldn't your next thought be, I'm out of here? Uh, for me, honestly, I had such incredible low self-esteem and issues from my childhood abuses and neglect that, you know, I could look past that. I, I have my own problems. I'm a recovering alcoholic. I, I was morbidly obese at the time and I was just always dealing with my own issues as well. So I'm like, okay, well, she has some issues. You know, I, I knew this going in and circling back to what I said about when we got married, I knew we both had a lot of issues and that we would essentially be able, the whole goal was to try to overcome them and move forward and work on it together. So, all right. That's, I'm glad you told me that. And that, that makes perfect sense. You know, I guess I didn't have enough of that context, but I totally get that. And I mean, you're just, you're in a relationship and you're in a life for that matter that has a lot of experience attached to it that hearing something like this, as much as it's disturbing, you've been, you've managed to make your way through so many of these types of things. This is kind of like the next one. Right. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. And that, that's kind of the way that I looked at the issues at play. You know, it's like I grew up with a lot of death around me and people getting arrested or divorces and bankruptcies and all kinds of issues like that. I mean, I almost died when I was a teenager from an ATV accident. Add in just other kinds of major issues throughout most of my life, like starting drinking when I was a young teenager. And it just became you know, just a part of the story as part of the tapestry of life with the magical threads to pull and see where this is going to go. So obviously, as a matter of a defense mechanism, that simply overlooking your feelings or looking beyond them, that's kind of life. There's a term that I've seen you use in something that you wrote, and I don't want to give it away, but I think it's, it's just so great, so well put. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that, that's uh, what I like to refer to as grade A hopium. So the hopium, in my definition, is essentially you're so addicted to the hope that things are going to get better that you're able to overlook any particular trivialities and emotional issues or major red flags that pop up in the moment because you're so future focused in a larger codependent type of environment or focus area for myself in particular that you just are like, I'm, I'm going to get to that dream. I'm going to you know, keep looking forward. I'm going to overlook what I'm facing in the day to find myself really enjoying the hope of tomorrow. Hopium is what got me through most of those circumstances in my early life, and it was, this was just a continuation of being addicted to that. This concludes part one with Ryan. Be looking for part two on the When Dating Hurts podcast.
Thank you for listening to the When Dating Hurts podcast. We have been steadily moving up in podcast review rankings based on downloads in the relationships category. That means more and more listeners are getting the kind of advice that can improve lives for victims, survivors, and their families. If you feel we need to hear your story, do not hesitate to email me at Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com. That's Bill Mitchell at WhenDatingHurts.com.